On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put, on, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Lord, as we stand, we ask that you would come and speak to our hearts through your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a warm welcome to you uh, this Sunday, especially if you're visiting or uh, joining us for the first time or for the hundredth time. Welcome back. Welcome. Um, we are um, out of the book of Lamentations. Uh, many people were happy of that. It was, it was fascinating, but um, we're, we're glad to put that book to rest. And now we're in the season of Easter. And a fascinating passage here. Uh, and if you have your bulletins, keep them open to the gospel reading. We're going to uh, look at this briefly, see what it has to say to us today. Uh, the big theme in, in this passage in John 20 is how Jesus overcomes fear in the lives of his disciples and how he can overcome fear in a community and also in the life of an individual. Um, last Sunday, Easter, one of, the, one of my favorite things is to see the flowering of the cross. I mean, what could be better? We have children we have flowers, a cross, and petals just kind of flying everywhere as children are putting roses and daisies with exuberance. I didn't even know what the flowers were, but you know, it was just kind of a, a, a wonderful sight. And as they were doing that, I don't know if you remember the song we were singing, um, Ain't No Grave, but there's a line in it that says, fear is a liar with a smooth and velvet tongue. Fear is a tyrant. He's always telling me to run. And that seems to fit what was going on with the disciples. Fear is a natural response to the difficulty of life, to the challenges of life. Some, some of us at a young age were conscripted into responsibility too soon. And we're suddenly thrown that or circumstances mean that there's a lot more that you have to do that you weren't prepared for. Fear can, can, can arrive. 
when suddenly you become aware of, the, of an increased amount of responsibility, it's natural to start to wonder, how is this going to work out? How am I going to make, make these payments? How am I going to make life work? How am I going to juggle all the balls in, in the air? That's normal. It's the experience of anyone, right? And if we aren't careful, this can develop into a fear that isn't healthy but can grow roots that really crush the life out of us. And Jesus comes and he wants to exchange that unhealthy fear with his peace so that we can have wisdom in the challenges we face. So for example, what does the fear of punishment do? Fear of punishment leads us to have little hope, little peace. A fear of what others think about us can lead us to deep insecurity. A fear of uncertainty can lead us to a lack of contentment. Fear of bad news is, uh, leads us to always have a sense of foreboding. And the fear of our past becoming known strips us from being able to be present in the moment. So on the evening of that same day, this is the eighth day, so this is a week, a full week has passed since the resurrection. On the, the same day he appeared to Mary, Mary Magdalene, the disciples are gathered together, the doors are locked for fear, and they're united together. Sorry, this is the evening, I got ahead of myself. On the evening of the day of the resurrection, the disciples are there, and they're united in their fear. And without announcing his presence, Scholars debate how he did this, but the doors are locked for fear and Jesus suddenly is in the middle of them. And it's natural to, uh, to have fear, but look what Jesus does. He doesn't uh, suddenly show up and say, all right, suppress your fear, bury it, and don't acknowledge it. No, what does he do? He, he manifests his presence. He shows up in that very place of fear. When we were about to move here, I was at lunch with Bishop Philip, who some of you have met, and uh, we're going to lunch, and it was kind of like, you know, the farewell before we send you off, and I was just, you know, thinking through all the logistics of moving from one church to another and everything, and, you know, the evidence, it kind of made sense, but it kind of didn't. We were still coming out of COVID, and I remember praying a simple prayer before I went to lunch, Lord, just give me a sign that you're with us because it's a lot, right? And um, we're at lunch, and it's so bizarre. A woman, as we're finishing, runs over to us. Now, we had our collars on because we are going to some kind of thing afterwards, and we're at an Italian restaurant, so the, de the, the, uh, the deck was stacked, right? And this woman comes running over. She says, hello, my name is Juanita. Can I have a selfie with you? I was like, Philip, you're suddenly famous. And he said, well, you're the handsome one. Maybe she's here for you. Anyway, so um, we stand up and, and we take the selfie and uh, I say, well, why do you want a selfie? I says, well, my mother and my friends staged an intervention in my life a month ago and told me that I needed to make change in my life. And I want to show them that I'm willing. And so I'm gonna send this photo right now to my mother. So okay, and then I just said, well, how can I pray for you? And she said, well, I've been walking around here, 
for the last week. And I've realized that I need Jesus in my life. And I've been looking for someone who could pray with me and help me to give my life to Jesus. I said, really? You know, just kind of, and, and you know, I was just kind of really dumbfounded that someone would come up and ask me that because it's just such a, an amazing thing. Usually you have to, you know, work it the other way. But I smiled and we, we prayed and we led her to the Lord and, and uh, she had an amazing encounter. And then it was a sense of what an honor to be that person. Um, and it was such a sign to me that the Lord was with me. It was as if he was live streaming my life and knew exactly what I was thinking. And so it was yet another sign that we were to move, to come to St. Bart's. And what happened was, as long and short of it is, I saw Jesus at work. My fear left, and I walked out and said to Philip, I said, yep, I think we're good to go. My heart was glad. And that's what the impact is of Jesus' presence among them in their fear. Peace be with you, in verse 20. He says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It doesn't say that they were free from fear. It's a more, I find it's a, it's, a, it's a more powerful description of what happened to their hearts. They were glad. Isn't that interesting? They didn't become fearless. They were glad. And then Jesus says to them, peace be with you. He empowers them to live out of gladness by promising and giving them his peace and saying, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. What is this peace? You know, what is peace? Well, we can come up with all kinds of things, but the, the idea of peace from a, a Jewish mindset isn't just the absence of conflict. When Jesus grants peace, it isn't just a, just a cessation of hostilities. Instead, it's much more than that. He's pouring all of his presence into a situation, into someone's life. It's a supernatural power conquering the natural powers in us. It's resurrection power overcoming fear and replacing it with gladness, with peace. It's not just saying you need to stop slandering someone. When the peace of God rolls into someone who slanders, it works out in such a way that there's reconciliation between the two parties. It's much more powerful. It's a foretaste of what will come on the day of Pentecost on June 5th. So that's lovely. And then in verse 24, we get to Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, the English grammar here betrays the emotion. A closer translation to the text says, instead of placing, he's saying, unless I thrust my hand into his side, unless I thrust my fingers into his hands. So he's fired up. Um, but what does it say? You know, Thomas has this reputation of the doubter. The name actually means the twin, says it in the, in the text, but also divinely preserved. Isn't that wonderful? Divinely preserved. Everyone doubts. 
Everyone doubted on Easter morning. All of the disciples did. Why? Because they had a preconceived idea. They had a preconceived notion that the dead stay dead. It's one thing to hear someone talk and teach and have a wonderful time with them and travel with them for three days. But it's another thing to have to take their teaching and allow it to change your mind into what is actually possible. They had a preconceived notion that the dead remain dead. They doubted because they'd never seen someone rise from the dead. That's why Thomas is so um, emotional, unless I thrust my hand into his side. We don't know what it is that kept Thomas away from the others that night, why he misses out. Was he afraid to be with them in case the Jews raided the meeting place? Was he mourning privately? We just don't know. All we know is that he wasn't there, and scholars suggest that it's likely that his fear kept him from gathering since the others were united in fear. Thomas, in short, is the is smart one, right? In case it's raided, you'll get stuck, and I alone will take on the mission of Jesus. And then it's interesting, in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. We said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. The assumption here is that Thomas believes they've seen a ghost. And what's important here is that he's doubting the testimony of 10 grown men. And in the court of law at the time, testimony of two men was enough to convict. And so he isn't doubting a little bit. He has big doubts. So we mentioned a court of law. I thought it'd just be really fascinating. Uh, we happen to have a federal court judge in our presence. I thought I'd introduce you to her. She's also my mother. We had the most dangerous thing in coming to your son's church that he might call you up. So mom, would you join me? No doubt some will call this payback. You want to hold it just like that. There we go. Perfect. So I have a few questions somewhere that we... we pro, pro, okay. So Thomas and his doubts. As a federal court judge, what strikes you here? You have to, it's like an ice cream cone. Yeah, that's it. Right up to your mouth. That's it. There we go. Well, in my opinion, there's no stigma to being a doubter. The term doubting Thomas is not pejorative. I think it's good to be a doubter, and I'll explain why. Think of the criminal justice system. In my country and in this great country, judges and jurors wrestle and resolve doubts every day. And that is because in uh, common law, derivative countries, like Canada and the United States, a, an accused is innocent until proven guilty. And the proof of guilt is always on a very high standard, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So let me stop you there. And I, I don't mean to correct you. It's, this is like the greatest sin to correct your mother in front of your church. But I do believe three countries are represented here, Canada, the United States, and Texas. 
Texas as well. Guilty or innocent the, the, until proven I, guilty. I, I will just say, they'll tell you that in the hallway. Um, tell us a bit more about what it means to be beyond a reasonable doubt because Thomas is, has a reasonable conviction that they're wrong. And, and could you just illustrate for us what it means to come from a place, what it takes to get to a place of reasonable doubt and how people's minds change? Well, you, first of all, it's an intellectual exercise. Uh, a judge or a juror always uses a, an analytical framework uh, to resolve a doubt. It's not based on a whim. It's not based on emotions. I would say it's uh, uh, more of a... Um, it is an intellectual exercise. It's not a gut feeling. So uh, in our criminal justice system, every ingredient, every element of, a, um, of an offense has to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt applies to credibility. Um, so I think the, the main thing is in resolving doubts is that you have to have an open mind. You can't use a flawed reasoning system. Uh, just as an aside, two what I would call derivative common law countries, India, when the British left, got rid of the jury, jury system. And so I asked one day an Indian judge why, and he said, uh, because uh, lay people, ordinary people, are too susceptible to bias. They can't keep an open mind. You know my response. I looked at him and I said, I doubt it. <laughs> I asked an Israeli judge because they also uh, got rid of the jury system. And they do have a definition for reasonable doubt and it's based on 98%, whatever that means. And I said, why do you think you got rid of the jury system? He said, because it was too difficult to explain reasonable doubt to lay people. And I looked at him and I said, and I doubt that. So to resolve doubts, you have to um, hear, see, weigh the evidence. And I presume that that's what you're going to say that Thomas did. Thank you, Mom. Um, It's so encouraging, isn't it? And this passage is here for those of us who do doubt. We all doubt at some point. Um, look down at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. So the, lo the doors are still locked. But it, the fear is absent from the crowd. So though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. What's so encouraging here is Thomas is there, just like with the other 10, Jesus shows up and he appears in the similar manner because Thomas needs evidence. He needs answers to his questions. And what we see is Jesus honors Thomas's doubt. Notice what Jesus doesn't, doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, have more faith. Or another thing that I, I've heard in Dallas these last nine years, in order, to, in order to have faith, you need faith. You know, which is a circular argument that doesn't really make sense to me. 
or he doesn't, Jesus does not say, stop it. No. He says, differently, without the emotion, Jesus doesn't say, thrust your hands. He says, put your fingers here. See my hands. And he says to all of us, ask the questions. Explore the questions. He isn't intimidated by our questions. Rather, he invites it because Jesus wants to honor it. Because it's in the pursuit of our questions that we can find out more about him and what he's like. And so he shows Thomas that he knows his doubts. Look down with, in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Thomas had said, unless. And Jesus had been listening. Jesus meets him where he is. Jesus has been listening to you. And he's looking to meet you where you are. The great deception is that we are alone in our doubts. And the gospel narrative paints a picture that says that is simply not true. We are never alone in our doubts. We may feel like it, but it doesn't mean it's true. Remember, evidence isn't based on feelings. We aren't recipients of the feelings handed down. We're recipients of the faith handed down. Jesus is with you in your doubts. Jesus doesn't expect Thomas to work out all his questions and doubts. Instead, he meets him in the thick of it. He meets him in his fear, in all of his emotions, and he meets him in that place of questioning. And so this passage encourages us to ask the questions, why? And there are a lot of questions, why? Often I'll, I'll encounter an atheist and they'll say, oh, you don't want to talk to me? And I say, oh, I'd love to talk to you. It's rare for me to get an atheist in front of me and ask all the questions. And they'll ask me, they'll say, well, I just can't believe that a good God would allow suffering. I say, that's, that's a fair question. But then I'll ask, have you ever asked why there's joy in life? And that gets a response. And, um, or the other question I'll, I'll sometimes ask one is, why do we fight so hard to live if this is all an accident, if there's nothing behind it? And it, it leads to a robust conversation. But in that encounter, Thomas sees Jesus, and it's likely because of this encounter that he, history tells us that Thomas left the Roman Empire and established the church in India Personally, I think Thomas was enticed by the food, but, because it is amazing. Um, just before COVID, we were moving All Saints Dallas from its location on Oak Lawn to its new location near City Hall, and I had to go inspect the pews. We had a pew maker come in from somewhere, probably East Texas, and I went in, and the carpenter was there working on the communion rail, and I took my photos, and I walked up to the carpenter, and I said to him, you know, Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are going to meet God on this very communion rail you're building. What do you think about that? Well, uh, we get talking and it becomes clear he's Polish. And he says to me, I'm going to tell you something. I left communist Poland in the 80s and I've never shared what I'm going to share with you. I have real doubts about faith. I was raised Catholic, and because of my doubts, I haven't gone to church. 
I just thought it was incredible that he would share something for me, that, share something with me they've been carrying for 39 years. And so we begin to talk about how God uses our doubts and questions to lead us to him. And I said to him, I said, you know, you really need to come to church, this church, or a church like it. And he said, why? I said, because doubters are welcome. And you're the exact kind of person we have, we are building this church for. Um, doubting is thought either to be, is thought to be purely intellectual. Um, and it, there is 100% an intellectual piece to it. But it's not often our thinking, it's our feelings that start it and our wounds. And it isn't so much the bad things happened to this world, but usually underneath the question is, why have bad things happened to me? And so it's a very subjective response. And to figure out, you've got to work your way out in a very objective way and bring it back in. If God is good, why isn't God being good to me? It's a great question. The reality is, is that life leaves its mark on our lives, and it leaves its mark with wounds. Life is hard. Things go wrong all the time. We're not guaranteed success if we put our life into the hands of Jesus. What we are promised is that Jesus will meet us in our wounds. Life does hurt. Life hurt Jesus. He was crucified. And yet the invitation from Jesus is identify with me in my wounding so that I might meet you in yours. And so we need to ask the questions and be prepared as we ask those questions and as we pursue the things that are so challenging to us, that to know that he's listening and that we're not doing it on our own. So we talked about fear in the beginning and doubt just now. But the, the, to overcome unhealthy fear, it's healthy for a child to be afraid of a hot stove, right? However, there's an unhealthy side of fear. And in order to overcome that, we're invited to encounter Jesus in community because it takes community to process fear. It takes friends. It takes prayer. It takes emotional support. It takes the help of professionals. That's why one of our values here at St. Bart's is hospitality because it's about connecting with other people and talking through the deep questions of life. Remember, the disciples were glad. If fear, unhealthy fear, is something you wrestle with, take a moment and consider that instead of wanting you to suppress your fear, Jesus wants to meet you in it, provide you with evidence so that you do not need to be afraid. What would his peace look like in the place of fear. And if you have doubts this morning, I want you to be encouraged that God doesn't expect us to get our doubts figured out before he meets with us. The great promise is that whenever two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of them, followed by when you eat 
of this bread and drink of my cup. I will meet you there. So there's a promise of meeting him at communion. He's seeking to meet with us in those doubts. So the exercise is to name them before him. To doubt is natural. And the posture of Jesus is to honor those doubts. So you're not alone. He's with you. And he's placed a community around you. Why? Because he's seeking to fill you with the very same power that raised him from the dead so that you might know just how loved you are so that you might take that love to those who need it. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way you surprise us constantly. And in our midst, we lift you those who based on the evidence of their lives um, have a case to be fearful, to have unhealthy fear. And, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet us in our fear. We thank you for those in our midst who have questions, like Thomas. And we pray, Lord, that just as you honored Thomas's doubting, that you would come and honor ours, and move in power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.